She'd gone on like that, breathing like that, day after day for a week. Each time we'd opened the door of the hospital room, we'd hear that shallow breathing. And each time we left, it followed us and died when the door was closed. The corridor was always a relief after that endless, uncomfortable breathing. Death beckoned like a friend, but still she wouldn't, couldn't go. Day and night and day again. All that week it went on. A week earlier she'd been rambling, talking about the other children. But there were only three of us and we were there. She went on about how we were to take care of them and not let them get cold. Keep them well wrapped up. Make sure they're well wrapped up before you take them outside. My father would lean across the bed and pat her hand and tell her, Yes, yes, he'd make sure they were well wrapped up. And yes, he'd check before he went outside. And yes, he'd be careful with them. And she'd say, You weren't before. And we'd recognise his pain. The flicker that we couldn't understand. And he'd agree and pat her hand again and run his long fingers through her thin hair and massage her temple as though he could bring back the sharpness that had gone from her brain. All that first week it went on. Sometimes when I was there alone with her, she'd ask me to check that they were well wrapped up and I'd play my father's part and reassure her and touch her hand and massage her forehead with 4711 cologne and then she'd stop her rambling talk. And then the breathing started, sharp and shallow. It didn't mean much, the nurses said. It might be the start of something, though maybe not. We'd sit with her in turns, morning, afternoon, evening, night. Sleeping in that hard armchair. The night nurses bringing tea at twelve and four. That last night, I walked the corridor while the nurses turned my mother. It was a fresh white day outside, spring but without the heat. I walked to the end of the corridor and stood looking across the car park and then walked back. I knew, even before they said, I knew by the way the nurses stood outside the door. She's gone, one of them said. I nodded. Would you like to spend a few minutes with her, she asked. I nodded again. And they opened the door for me and I stepped inside. They stood a moment watching and then left me alone. I stood at the window, my back to her, waiting for some noise, some movement. I couldn't believe death was so still. I talked to her, but I didn't speak. Do you remember my tricycle? The one that broke? Do you remember my first communion? Do you remember the bars of Fry's cream you always brought home from big nights out? 
Do you remember the licorice pipes? Do you remember the two car tyres we had in the garden in the low terrace? The tyres that were our horses. Orange Lair and Cho-Cho, we called them. Do you remember Joe Whelan and me trying to rob gooseberries from under your nose? But you didn't remember, did you? If you remembered anything, you were remembering another time. Other children. The children at the bottom of the garden. We came here full of happiness and hope. It all seems black and white from this distance. Black and white like the photographs we took out now and then. Me in the garden, us at the door, him in a chair under the window, a dog at his feet. The children on the swing, three of them looking like steps of stairs. I have my own photographs. My aunt coming to mind me. My parents all dolled up for the Labour Party dances. Waking next morning to three bars of fries on the bedside table. Summer evenings in the garden, picking lettuce and scallions for the tea. The garden that my father kept in order. A place for everything and everything in its place. Fruit bushes, apple trees, lawn, vegetables in beds and drills. And the small wilderness near the football field hedge, where Joe and myself bellied our way through the Indian wars. But we didn't know. Some people did. We knew. Of course we knew your father and myself. The midwife, the doctor, the neighbours knew. Neighbours who'd been through it all themselves. We didn't know. We knew it all. The expectation. The months of waiting. And all the moody twists and turns along the way. Bad days when it was all I could do to get to work. 
putting in the hours, trying to keep the kids interested, struggling home after school, the road getting longer week by week. The tiredness, knowing how it all must take its course. No shortcuts. Just see it through. Nights lying awake, putting names on the unborn. And plans. I dared to dream, to hear the voice, the tone. That was enough. On that I built a future. An education, happiness, health, a life. I allowed myself the dream. Let the life spin out from me through the years. I dared the future. Maybe that was my mistake. Was that where I went wrong? In tempting fate? Giving a life before the life was given? Was it a sin to hope? It seemed to be. To hear the voices. <laughs> tea time! Your tea is ready! Her voice in the evening time. We were in Whelan's garden, smoking between the potato stalks. And she was standing on the step of our back door. My father buried the tines of the fork in the soil and lifted his coat from where it hung on the branch of an apple tree. His small formality. But I waited until I heard a second call and then a third. Then it was time to go. Corpses Corner was a great spot for the news. The comings and goings. There was nothing stirred we didn't know about. Not a hayport. I'd see them passing up and down the town, stopping in and out of the post office. They'd think that I knew nothing, but I knew enough to be getting on with. News is a way of travelling, no matter what way you try to sponsor it. But I'd know. I'd know, and what I didn't know, I'd a way of finding out. And there's another thing. Some of them thought bad luck had never come knocking at their door. I could have told them. Bad luck isn't choosy. It'll settle anywhere. The months passed, each with its own step, its own promise. So close to the moment. Closer. Closer. So close. So close to life. Arriving in the dark night. Not arriving. Here and not here. The limp body on the sheet beside me. This was all there was. The doctor and the midwife redundant. All of us redundant. That terrible silence where the cries should be. An audience expecting sound, but no sound comes. No rise and fall of tiny lungs. Nothing. Nothing at all. A lifeless child, that's all. Blue-white. Dead. So dead. Strange, that, as if there are degrees of death. There are no degrees. No easy death for children. No easy acceptance. Just death. As ordinary as that. 
mundane. Summer evenings. We crossed that small wilderness of grass and poppies and vetch, squeezed through the gap in the ditch, and launched ourselves onto the football field among the adults, their trousers tucked inside their socks, lofting the ball between the posts, their voices ringing. Anyone got the lend of a left boot? We were free then, free of everything. We relished the clink of the meggers as they settled around the iron bar, chased the wild, wide balls that flew from errant feet. They wouldn't kick shit! It was all so easy then, to leave it all behind. But now, not now. Now there's no escape, no exorcism for that kind of life. A life that said... We're all children of God, but won't allow these children inside the gates of Christian rest. Now you know, nothing new in that. Weren't we all through it in our time, one way and another? Oh, if it wasn't burying children, it was baptising them, or getting their mothers and fathers married in the nick of time, or getting them married at all. Many a morning I'd see them sneaking into the sacristy for the quick job. One quick job leads to another. Isn't that the way, huh? By Jesus, that's the way. Some things could be done, and then some things couldn't. But sure, that was always the way. Sometimes afterwards I'd watch the other children, the living children crossing that wilderness where they were buried, the many little bodies. And I'd think back to the nights when they were born. Sometimes when the wind blew at two and three in the morning, I'd wake and listen. In spite of everything, life went on. We stood at Corpse's Corner and sucked the life out of a woodbine butt and talked. I and the young ones passing back and forth. In spite of everything, life went on. And death. Life came out of the black winter nights. Life leaked out of the hot summer nights on Rice's Hill. Children born in and out of love. And who was to say what was love and what was lust and what was habit or necessity? And death stalked life all over the village. Not afraid to come and stand outside the gates of newborn children. Death didn't give a fuck. Neither did we. But at least we knew when to keep our mouths shut. night no more still as still as dawn before the birds go epileptic as still as that I see the crumpled body incapable of breath inert and mute 
And I hear myself from the other end of the small terrace. And my waiting and my loss come out as one long cry. And then the stillness drifts back. And I can hear himself moving in the kitchen, listening for me before he steps into the yard outside. I hear the bolt unshot from the shed door. Hear him empty nails and screws and bits and pieces from one of his wooden boxes on the shelves. The bolt shoots home again, and he's back inside the kitchen, searching awkwardly in a drawer for a half-torn sheet in which to wrap our infant child. Years afterwards, on Saturday nights, she'd find a half-torn sheet and he a piece of stick from the shed, and I'd have my flag to wave on the sideline in Athy or Newbridge or Tullamore. Come on, Mick Carlin, stick at him! Come on, Galair! Another half-torn sheet, a banner in the summer afternoon. I'm not there when the child is placed inside his coffin box, not there when the sheet is wrapped around the tiny hands, wound around the arms and legs that never moved. I'm not there when the face is shrouded, the vacant features covered for the first and last time. Instead, I lie in the bedroom where he was conceived and born and lost. I think of the christening robe, carefully wrapped in tissue paper, carefully wrapped. I'm not there when he's wrapped up. I can only imagine, because we will never talk of this again. This will never touch our tongues, not even late at night when talk is intimate. Instead, we will bury the words in that nail box, wrap up our confusion and rejection in the half-torn sheet and see it out the door. No church, no hymns, no words. Diezire, diezirem, day of wrath, day of mourning, out of the depths we cry to you. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our laughter. In my head I heard the neighbours praying. In my head he had a burial. In my head the doors and gates stayed open. In my head there was delivery from evil, death, the closed door, the locked gate, the unopened grave. In my head I heard the neighbours praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. But that was only in my head. Outside in the first light he took the spade from the little shed. The spade with the shining blade the spade which he turned and straightened every drill in spring. Day broke over us, and he dug a grave for our child in the piece of ground near the bottom ditch, the place we hadn't got to tilling, the bit of ground at the end of the acre garden. 
If the church could find no room for this child and the others, the county council did. He dug in the watery light, his spade cutting clean into the clay, laying aside the sods, opening the earth, enough to make the necessary space. Space for a short life. When that was done, he came back in and took the wooden box off the table, one big hand underneath and one on top. Grave digger, undertaker, mourner and father, burying our child. Word spread. We heard. You hear these things in villages. The schoolmistress lost the child, and not the first. And not the first to lose one. We all knew loss at first or second hand. Coming so late from dances that it was early, we'd all met men on bikes with small packages on the carriers, spades tied like rifles along the bar, heading down Mullacreelan Hill or out by Prumpelstown to lay their infant children in corners of fields, ruined churches, fairy rats. Where else was there to bury them? We all knew loss. We grew to recognise it from a hundred yards. We'd stop our codacting, fall silent on the barrack road, Raise our caps and salute, in sympathy. Stand back. The wet nettles and the July poppies spilling dew onto our suits. Stand back and let the dead pass by. We all knew loss. We recognise its face in old and young. A long time ago, before this house was built, when the ditch at the end of our garden was just a ditch between two fields, Someone bent and wove the branches to make a living fence that grew and strengthened every year. Inside the ditch, the children played, pushing car tyres up and down the paths, swinging from the apple branches, cowboys in the gooseberry and blackberry, crawling undetected through potato drills, cares pinks and British queens in flower with their umbrella. And while they played, he went about his work. He loved that garden. Fruit trees, rhubarb, lawn and vegetables, and below them, inside the woven ditch, the wilderness where the children sometimes played. The wilderness of poppy, primrose, coltsfoot, oxeye, sorrel, cowslip and then high brown grass. The wilderness where the lost children were buried. There, inside the ditch, the children at the garden's end. On spring nights, or when autumn was drawing in, I'd walk down there on some pretense and stand and listen. But they never spoke. Instead, they listened year on year to our mad laughter, our plans and fiascos, and never spilled our secrets. The lost children who never ventured beyond the wilderness, never came tentatively at night to touch the apple flower, never knelt to taste the strawberries. We played on their graves. We lived with them and without them, with the fruitlessness, the loss of life, the lack of love, denying everything. So many children, there and everywhere, their young bones bitter and twisted in the roots of hedges cut by the shale of ruined churches, asleep in quiet fields or washed by the waters on river banks. And the years passed while they melted into the earth. We went on living, not knowing. Christmases came, bringing nothing less than peace, goodwill and hope for every child. A new year, another new year, 
and the frozen forms are there below the crusted wintry snow. Sometimes in January I'd sit at the kitchen table. Outside the door snowdrops dripped and the brave heads of daffodils and crocuses arrowed the ground. No more than that. Inside, purple irises and hyacinths the colour of lilac. I'd sit there, waiting for spring, knowing it comes with us or without us. It came without them. So I'd assemble the facts as best I could, spilling them out like negatives, ghost figures from another life. Except... Except these figures have no lives of their own. The children I saw had skin so brittle it shone like angels. But they had no lives of their own. What I saw when I held those images to the lamp of memory were tiny bodies, light as shadows, on the makeshift lining of makeshift coffins, in the half-light of another lifeless morning. Sometimes, late of a summer's evening, we'd hunker down over a game of pitch and toss at the back end of corpses' sheds, straining over the couple of flipped coins, no longer sure what was heads and what was harps. And we might admit, half out loud, to what we felt. No more than that, or the odd time when the litany was said at the end of the rosary, we might allow our minds to ramble. Children born in April... Children of the spring. Children born at dawn. Children of the grey light. Children born in summer. Buried in the orchards. Children born in winter. Buried in the rain. Pray for us. Children born in anger. Children born in hate. Children whose graves were lost and never found again. Children born in sunshine. Children of the dark. Children born with eyes that sparkle too glassily. Pray Pray for us. Pray for us though we've forgotten you. Though we've denied you from the start. Life went on. There were other crises, other tragedies. Young girls got pregnant. No stopping them. Up she flew. Where do you think, huh? The long grass behind the chapel. Broad daylight. <laughs> the PP met them and them snaking round the bell. Bold as brass. Never knocked a feather out of them. Especially the young one. Oh, she smiles at the priest. How are you, father? Says she with that grin like a Cheshire cat. How are you, father? Oh, there's no doubt about it. She's a neck like a jockey's bollocks. 
<laughs> Probably thought she'd never get caught. <laughs> Not so smart in the heel of the hunt. Marriages and threatened marriages. Oh, you should have heard the man. I'll marry her, the young lad says. Over my dead body, says his old lad. He'd wallop the young fella. He was always a dab hand at that, mind you. Never behind the door when it came to dishing out the rough stuff. Yo, brains to burn, the old lad says. You won't keep her from me, comes back the young fella. Well, boy, Jesus, then I'll keep you from her. Ha, ha, ha. You'll got your call to training and you'll take it. You'll be a teacher and no young whore is going to stop you. I'll see to that. Their boyfriends disappeared. Up she flew! A child from the low terrace was killed on the road, playing underneath the coal lorry one rainy Saturday afternoon. Uh, sure he'd no chance. The axle caught his head. He never knew what hit him. Dead before he hit the road. Nothing could be done for him. Not a bloody thing. I marked the years in school. Catechism exams, first communions, confirmations, scholarships. And we outgrew that house. We did a swap for a place slightly bigger. A dry day in July. I was six years old. We moved across the football field to the high terrace. A stairs, a bathroom, three bedrooms. My father built a garage and a flat back kitchen and a wall along the front. It was all excitement then. I hear they're on the move, going up in the world, huh? No stopping them now, <laughs> Oh, there'll be no talking to them. Not that there ever was. Not that I'd be bothered. Not that I'd bother my arse. There's no way you get me cow-toned to the likes of them. So what are they anyway, huh? Nothing. That last night, when all the others were asleep, I walked down between the apple trees across the dewy lawn, between the drills he'd left ready for the next family. And I stood under the full moon, and I started to pray for them, as I did every night. But the prayers wouldn't come. All I could do was to remember those babies, dead at birth, unblessed, buried here at sunrise, while he dug deep, too deep to be disturbed. I lay in the pale bedroom, waiting for the last rasp of the spade in the clay. I looked over my shoulder for their shadows, for the forms of grown children flitting between the trees, asking just ten more minutes before it's time to go inside. Oh, I'd willingly have given it. But it wasn't in my gift to give anything. Not life, not hope, not a Christian burial. There was nothing I could do. So I gave them my blessing. My baptism, benediction, Eucharist and consecration. And then I left them there and went back inside the house and lay all night awake. It all came out, the whole sad story, in the days after my mother's death. We were told no more than that. But it kept coming back to me, standing now on the low terrace where I played all my childhood.
I go back now, and when the car turns the corner between Burns and Lawler's, the first thing I see is our house. There, between Hickey's and Whelan's. That's where we played. Chasing the highball into Baines and Kinsella's. I grew up in Kinsella's. Mammy Kay and Nan were mothers to me. This place is full of happiness. The square still rings with laughter. If I sat back on Howe's wall, I'd be there. Joe Whelan and myself. Blood brothers. We're laughing at some outrageous six-year-old plan. And the Angelus bell is ringing across Keatley's field. And Harry Kinsler pushes through the white thorn at the end of the terrace, singing his way home from work. But now it's different. Now I know there were other blood brothers. And this is where they would have played. I find myself giving them names and faces. And sometimes, when I hear my father singing a snatch of some old song, I remember the house and the garden and the way it was back there. Where are they now? Some are dead, some have wandered. No more to their homes shall those children return. Lonely the house now and lonely the moorland. The children are scattered, the old folk are gone. Why stand I here like the ghost of a shadow? Tis time I was moving, tis time I passed on. And then I ask myself why I'm trying to dress the facts in language softer than they demand. To spare the blushes of responsibility? Anyway, anyway, the times have changed. We live in more enlightened clichés now. But that kind of talk doesn't drown the silence. Can't silence the litany repeated many times. A litany that bears one more repeating. One more utterance of the never-given names of those dead brothers, sisters, here. I'll say it's to let some sense of spring shine in on them. The lost children, denied all recognition. Buried in ditches, gardens, headlands, fields. Denied their final night inside the walls of church or chapel. Refused two feet of consecrated ground. Denied birth, existence, even death. The non-existent children of our lives. Children born in April, children of the spring. Children born at dawn, children of the grey light. Children born in summer, buried in the orchards. Children born in winter, buried in the rain. Pray for us. Children born in anger, children born in hate. Children whose graves were lost and never found again. Children born in sunshine, children of the dark. Children born with eyes that sparkled too glassily. Pray for us. There's days when hope is a terrible thing. When white thorn splashes on ploughed fields and the cherry branches sweep the grass with fists full of unthrown confetti. Days when hope is a trout jumping in the evening pool and the furze bursts with a fresher yellow. Days when the birds go on piping endlessly. Sometimes hope is a terrible thing in the face of memory. I'm writing 
You're a small boy and you inquire what my lucky number is. Without thinking, I give you my birth date. Later, you're away for messages. Milk bottles clattering in the rope bag. In the dusk, I hear you give your imaginary horse a favourite name. And the number I offered you. You race from post to post against the evening cars. You know nothing about absence. And I envy you. The richest ditch in these parts. This was it. Between the end of your garden and the football field. Flushed with crab apples, the cherry pitch of slows that had sticked the jawbones of an ass together. Sun through the straw and dark buttonholes of hard green rose hips. Blackberries full of sharp winter floods. And everywhere, the fan of elderberries on the turn. This is how it was. These are the facts, scattered like dandelion clocks. I see my parents time and again in expectation of nativity. And time and time the uselessness, the emptiness, an advent of loss. Their lives a corkscrew turning back on them. They wait and wait, but no one comes. No dark-suited, white-coloured figure on the early road. There's no welcome for the unbaptized. No welcome, no resting place, no blessing. Instead, the midwife stands in the hallway. My father digs a grave at the bottom of the garden. The lifeless sparrow which never flew and never fell is laid in a shroud of sheet at the kitchen door. My mother listens to the shallow hammering from the morning shed, the only bell allowed to ring.